In this week's episode of Farmer's Inside Track, six tips to thrive as a township farmer in Mzanzi. We chat to Isindaba Zokutla founder Dr. Nodia Malan. Plus, we share the do's and don'ts about cotton farming. We find out why Agriculture, Land Reform and Rural Development Minister Toko Didiza declared three KwaZulu-Natal districts as disease management areas. In our farmer development segment, Farm Soul boss Aaron Kole tells us what it takes for new farmers to convert productivity into profitability. Mutlati Tolo, a chicken farmer from the Northwest, is this week's soil sister. Every week we crown another queen powered by Food from Zanzi and Koteva AgriScience. Our farmer selected Simon Senek's blockbuster as their book of the week. And we head all the way to Mpumalanga for our Farmer Tip of the Week by Sizo Tsabalala. This is Farmer's Inside Track, supported by Food for Mzansi. Inspiration for your business and life. From South Africa's farmers and agripreneurs. Hey everyone, welcome to episode 82 of Food for Mzansi's podcast called Farmer's Inside Track. I'm your host, Dawn Numdu, the editor for audience and engagement at Foodform Zanzi. And joining me is Duncan Masiwa. Yes, and thank you for listening to South Africa's most downloaded farmers podcast. In fact, according to the latest analytics, Farmers Inside Track now has listeners in more than 90 different countries. Let's kick off the show with that promised segment about cotton farming. Our journalist, Nicole Ludolf. Chats to Susan van der Merwe, a commercial cotton farmer from the Northern Cape. Thank you so much, Dawn. So, Susan, what do you think farmers need to know if they want to venture into cotton farming? Jy moet liewees verboer. Jou belangstelling moet baie na in die natuur wees. Jy moet jou grond se tekstuur ken. Jy moet elke dag in die katoen wees, deurloop, verpeste en pla. En jy moet ook in die rechte area bly om jou katoen te verbou. You must love farming, you should be interested in nature, you must know the texture of your land or soil, you must be among the cotton every day, walking through it to check for pests and disease. And lastly, you should live in the right area for your cotton to grow. What are the soil and climate conditions required to start a cotton farm? The ground must be bewerkt met a rib between 400 and 450 centimeters. Jou plandiepte moet wissel tussen 15 mm en 25 mm. Jou grond moet baie mooi bewerk word, fijn bewerk word met de saadbed na jy dit gerip het. Jy moet jou grond tweemaal nat maak voor je plant. Jy moet jou put in die nat grond neersit, so dat hy kan ontkiem. En die klimaat moet ook minimum 15 en 18 grade wees. The soil needs to be ripped at a depth of 400 to 450 centimeters. Your plant depth must vary between 15 and 25 millimeters, and your soil must then be carefully worked after it is ripped. Make sure to wet your soil twice, and then put your seeds in the wet soil so that it can germinate. For cotton farming, the climate must be at a minimum between 15 and 18 degrees Celsius. What are the most common mistakes you see cotton farmers make when they start out? And do you have any other general tips for aspirant cotton farmers? Die foute wat baie boere maak, is hulle geen nie tweemaal water voor hulle dit verbou nie. Hulle plan die saad te diep of te vlak of glad moes nou nie in die nat nie. 
Hulle gee nie die rechte hoeveelheid kunstmis per blok nie. Hulle spuit nie vir onkruid nie. En as hulle moet spuit vir pest en pla, spuit hulle te laat, dan het die insek klaar sy skade gemaakt. Baie boere oos een te vroeg, dan verloor hulle ketoen en ander boere oos te laat en dan het baie al die veeselkwaliteit en die kleer verander. The error that many farmers make is that they don't water their soil twice before they cultivate. They plant the seed too deep or too shallow or not in the wet soil at all. They don't provide the correct quantity of fertilizer per block and they do not spray their plants for weeds. When they do spray for pests and diseases, they spray too late after the damage has already been done. Also, many farmers harvest a bit too early so they lose their cotton. Others harvest too late by which time many of the plants have changed in quality and color. Thanks, Nicole, and great having you, Susan van der Merwe, one of the few female commercial cotton farmers from the Northern Cape. From cotton farming to thriving as a township farmer, we are now joined by Dr. Nodia Malan, a senior lecturer in development studies at the University of Johannesburg, and is also the founder of Izindaba Zokutla, a Soweto-based farmer's lab. Dr. Milan, you believe that new or small farmers producing food in Umzanzi's townships can actually make a significant contribution to our food system, both in food production and in community development. What is your thinking around this and how do we ensure their contribution is not only seen but also valued? Hi. Please remember that the capability to contribute to the food production in the first instance, depends upon the capability of the farmer. So it's not really just about agricultural productivity or capability, but it's the capability to produce in a township with local wastes and resources in what we would call a low external input farming system or model. Low external input farming models are really very much the same as organic or permaculture kind of systems. But they really emphasize the ability to look at the local area and make the most of the resources there. And this is in distinction to the current agricultural system, which is the ability to harvest inputs from anywhere in the globe. But this is important because local township farmers don't have the funding to access that kind of global harvest. So they need to reorient their ways to harvest the local areas. And all my answers is really about the ability to spot this. To create or to make a contribution to the local food system, it's really important for local farmers, first of all, to increase their capability. And that is really about the ecological intelligence, the way they understand permaculture, biological cycles, how wastes transform into fertility and those kinds of things. So there is really a very strong case for dedicated and comprehensive ecological production approach which could be developed in many, many ways. The linkages with other actors, households, spaza shops, buyers, etc. is important because these linkages create the presence of the township farmer in the township, but these linkages need to be operationalized as productive linkages. So basically, these are all two-way streets because the same people who will bring you your wastes will be your customers. So it's important to develop these linkages in complex ways and deep relationship or human cultural ways, which everyone can understand because that then creates what we call the social capital, the trust 
amongst people to establish an enterprise and for this enterprise to thrive due to sufficient customers. For a local farmer to make a contribution to the food system, the local food system, it has to operationalize the support systems. So it's not only that the production must be done and there must be linkages, but these need to be operationalized. So for instance, WhatsApp can be configured to create a sales channel, an educational channel, and a marketing channel, and a waste harvesting channel. And that's really important. The next thing a farmer must do, she must engage in local education of, of the customers and community, especially on what is healthy food, which is really only one thing, which is fresh food, and the farmer can deliver this. This then spills over into the health of the community. Community cannot be healthy with, with wastes lying around. So the waste system is really a way of regenerating the community to give them economically productive activities, picking up litter and exchanging that for food, which makes it economically productive. And this then leads to the last thing. A local farmer must build loyalty systems. So these loyalty systems can support the enterprise and actually create the channels that I've just mentioned about how you can actually support the local food system. Now, I understand that the Izindabas or Kutla project has developed materials that enables a circular enterprise that avoids engagement with the extractive value chains of industrialized food systems. Tell us a bit about this module and its outcomes. So what I did is I really adapted it from the World Economic Forum's uh, publications. And they have developed a very sophisticated model. I think the first uh, iteration was on power drills. How do we redesign the power drill and the enterprises for power drills? So we build a circular system. And it's really about building a chassis that lasts forever and then exchanging the gearbox and the motor as time goes on. And then all the old stuff is recycled, etc., etc. This can only be done with a loyalty program, etc., etc. And you can see that I quite dramatically reappropriated these Western, modern, rich, sophisticated models to the township. And I believe that the circular enterprise model actually has its best, best, best exemplar in the South African or global local township food enterprise. The key characteristic of a circular enterprise model is, to put it technically, is the operationalization of externalities. What does this mean? This means all the things that are external, all the wastes, the things that we don't want to be part of the enterprise, actually now deliberately become part of the enterprise. Usually we distinguish between producers and customers. The customer is outside the business. You know, only when the product is attractive do they come and buy it. But now we need to move towards a co-creation model for products. So therefore, if you have a relationship with your local customers, they will come to you and tell you how do they want the product. Not about a tomato, but do you want one or two tomatoes and do you want it in a bag or not in a bag? So that is the co-creation of the actual product. So this is really what the operationalization of externalities is. Operationalize relationships as productive operationalize wastes as productive, operationalize marketing as an education strategy and education strategy as a food waste harvesting strategy. All of these things form a holistic whole. And this is how we can think of a township food production enterprise, which could be a farm or even a caterer.
So here the farmer must know. I mean, he must know how to make waste into compost. I mean, that's quite easy, but you need to be do more. So you take waste, make compost. From the compost, it goes to worms. From worms, it goes to another system. And only from there does it perhaps go your soil. So those are the kind of complex systems. So the more complicated the system, the better the enterprise. This is also to do with relationships. So the sales become input harvesting become a marketing strategy. So they're all triple up or double up as different things. And actually right at the end, the farmer needs to have that ecological intelligence to actually see the farm as a ecological system. It is this which really makes the difference in productivity and gives small farmers a chance to survive. Is if they can integrate these things, then it almost becomes a system that feeds itself and just releases value all the time. And that can only be done with a certain and sure measure of ecological intelligence. What are some of the key elements to thriving as a township farmer? The first thing is, of course, building communities, sales, products, wastes, education, marketing. But, you know, you cannot get away from ecological intelligence. So these guys must be able to spot ecological processes in the world and exploit them. You know, they must be able to spot waste as resources, um, landscapes as resources, flows of energy and water as resources, and actually to reinterpret biological cycles which do produce something and to, to reinterpret that cycle as an economic cycle so that the wealth and the value that it creates can be reappropriated by a person so a person's life is better. To be able to do that, a farmer must be able to be a designer. So this farmer must design the farm, design the processes in the farm, design a shop as part of the processes of the farm, and design the relationships as part of the the processes in the shop which feeds the farm, which then creates the products. So this is a very intimate and very close and very let's say, a subjective but also deeply human way of looking at these things. And this is actually quite beautiful because now we can build enterprises and new systems on how people truly interact with each other. And we can't take that away and put a supermarket in its place, but we can put the economic activity inside human relationships and therefore the economic activity will be supported by human relationships. And this is perhaps the most accessible way to improve your business is to just be a really good person. Thanks for joining us, Dr. Nodia Malan, an academic and founder of the Soweto-based Farmers Lab, Isindaba Zogutla. We now change gears and move the discussion from township farming to farmer development. Farm Soul boss Aaron Kole explains what it takes for new farmers to convert productivity into profitability. Aaron, you've stated that the difference between commercial and smallholder cost of production is influenced by various factors. Could you maybe break down some of these factors for us, please? Normally, when it comes to smallholder farmers, often more attention is given towards the need to produce higher yields. Of course, this is important and should never be compromised. But however, in addition, it is also important not to lose sight of the fact that farmer profitability is a question of both yield and the cost of production. And to be profitable as a farmer, you need to strike the correct balance. Looking at the smallholder farmer cost of production, generally, it is expensive for smallholder farmers to produce a ton of grain on a hectare. 
compared to established commercial farmers. To answer you then, what are some of the factors that influence this cost gap? Well, if you look at commercial farmers, they've actually built up their potential, the potential of their soils for many years. This could be through applying products such as lime, you know, phosphate, uh, practicing intensive soil cultivation. And for us, this proves that soil correction is a long-term investment. And the smaller farmer attempting to achieve these in one season will drive annual cost of production. So to slowly close this gap, it is important that the smaller farmer build up slowly by devising a soil correction plan and spreading this cost over a three to five year period. This should also include resting some of the land and practicing things such as crop rotation. Another factor that I could mention is that many smaller farmers lack the practical farming skills and know-how. This could be due to these farmers being the first generation farmers who are not exposed to farming early on in their lives. Therefore, you know, lacking practical farming skills. Lacking these practical farming skills can result in costly mistakes for the smaller farmer. E.g., as an example, somebody could use a wrong herbicide, consequently damaging crops or planting a correct plant population or even applying, you know, incorrect fertilizers. This could actually be very costly for that particular farm. Another one is lack of mechanization tools and equipment. This also negatively influences the smallholder farmer cost. Outsourcing critical or all farm mechanization activities can prove to be a very costly exercise and the farmer can expect to pay huge sums of money on contractor fees. These are some of the factors that would drive your cost of production of producing a ton of grain compared to established um, commercial farmer for smaller farmers a little bit higher as comparison to those established commercial farmers. I think you've highlighted a few of these points in our previous discussions, and it's important then for us to also look back at that. So if you are interested to find out more about what Aaron has also just mentioned, do go back to our previous discussions on this podcast, Farmers Inside Track. Now, Aaron, FarmSol aims to narrow this gap that directly impacts job creation to transform rural areas into vibrant economies. How do you see this happening practically? It remains important to narrow the, both the yield gap and the cost gap to produce a ton of grain between commercial farmers and smallholder farmers. For example, as part of our program, we implemented a soil rehabilitation scheme. In this scheme, qualifying farmers are given an opportunity to rest their fields. And for that particular year, instead of planting, the focus is on correcting the soils. This is achieved through the application of lime and the repayment of that lime get restructured and get repaid over a period of three years. In the very same year, our focus also is really around, you know, controlling weeds. Access to mechanization is also another important area. The southern breweries invested in mechanization with farms for rent out to farmers at a highly affordable rates. With this mechanization, smaller farmers have access to modern technologies and can implement minimum tillage practices, such as strip tilling. I don't know if you're familiar with that word, but, you know, strip tilling is another way of doing some minimum tillage. We are looking at partnership to further extend this to, to more farmers. One other important piece is that availability of affordable and timeless production loan funding. I need to stress timeless because, you know, in farming, you need to have this funding at the right time and in time. Having this funding late can also really prove very unproductive for you as a farmer and very risky. So this funding also needs to be accompanied by on-farm support. For us, we are thankful that SAB and other partners that we have in our scheme have made available production loan funding to support these farmers in our scheme. We also, as farms, will employ a large number of agri-specialists and farmer mentors to provide the farmers with mentorship and on-farm support. So overall, that's what we do to try and narrow this um, yield and cost gap with these three items. 
from farm source perspective? I think the important factor there that you mentioned is the timeliest funding that needs to be there at the right time. And this is across board, not only for farmers within your space, but for farmers starting out in the industry. Um, We see it time and time again with the farmers that we engage with at Food from Zanzia and specifically farmers inside Mm -hmm. track on a daily basis. Aaron, at FarmSol, you have a number of experts in the field, including extension specialists like Barry Nell and Karabo Puzwe, who continually address the challenges smallholder farmers face to unlock their full production potential. What are some of the key components to focus on that you've highlighted? And this is specifically around yield and cost. Yield and cost are important. You know, but the aim of our extension support is to provide mentorship and technical advice. But also embedded in this approach is the need to build the capacity of the farmer. I also need to mention that embedded in this approach is the need to build the capacity for the farm and build self-reliance other than dependency. What I mean by this is that we need to empower the farmer so that the farmer himself or herself can be able to walk in his own journey. Of course, in the beginning, there's going to be a whole lot of handholding support, but overall, our support will be, and the support that is getting provided by our agri specialists like Barry Garabo, as you mentioned, is to ensure that this farmer eventually can be able to work on his own. And for this agri specialist to be able to achieve that, there's a number of components that they actually would be doing. But within all this thing, really, is that there is a need to ensure that there's good farming practices that the farmer actually adopt all the time. And given the fact that we as farms, so we support the farmers from ensuring that this procurement of production inputs up until the farmer is able to harvest is really start now with the soil. Is the soil, for example, correct to be planted on? Is there a soil sample for that particular soil? Is fertilizer applied in line with the need of that particular soil? Is the seed that is actually getting procured the right seed that the farmer needs to plant? And then they also then look at the calibration, the seed population that the farmer need to actually plant. And with this then comes the whole issue of calibration, calibrating the tools and the equipment so that the farmer can be able to correctly plant the number of seeds per hectare. That's what we refer to as seed plant population. That is correct. And that is within the potential of that farm in that area. These agri-specialists then will work with the farmer throughout the season to monitor crop growth and also eventually then arrange the delivery of the grain you know, either for storage or for processing as the end of that value chain. Thanks again, Aaron, and be sure to check out Food for Mzanzi on Fridays as we introduce you to a different FarmSol youth ambassador. Agriculture is not just about farming. It's about caring, and that's an ideal worth preserving. It's yummy. It's good for you. And the whole family loves it. It's grain-filled chickens, proudly South African and mouth-wateringly delicious. Discover a world of tasty goodness and visit Grain-Filled Chickens for CO.ZA or like our Facebook page for more. Grain-Filled Chickens, a proud member of VKB. VKB, for the love of the land. Thanks again, Aaron Kole, Managing Director at Farmsel. Be sure to check out Food from Zanzi on Fridays as we introduce you to a different Farmsel Youth Ambassador. Next up, Agriculture, Land Reform and Rural Development Minister Tokodi Diza has declared three KwaZulu-Natal hotspots as disease management areas, this after an outbreak of foot and mouth disease. The minister believes this intervention is in the greater interest of the country 
and the agricultural sector. Today we have actually declared certain areas in Guazulu Natal, particularly the districts of Mkanyagude and King's Ejwayo as disaster management areas. As we all know, that these areas have been affected by foot and mouth. In order to contain the disease, we've outlined particular measures that the farmers in these areas as well as communities will have to follow to ensure that we do not spread the disease to other communities and districts that are not yet affected by foot and mouth. We know that foot and mouth in areas such as Mkanyagude, in particular areas such as Mpumalanga close to the Kruger Park and Limpombo are usually areas where foot and mouth is endemic. But what has been worrying is that now the spread in this identified location where the disease was first identified in Kanyagute has spread to another district. It is for that reason that we have actually put these measures in place, which means that we don't like movement of animals from these areas to other districts. Where some movement have to happen, even from one area to the other within the municipality, farmers will have to get permit from their veterinary doctors so that we are able to actually identify those animals and know exactly where they come from and where they are going. Agriculture, Land Reform and Rural Development Minister Tokodidiza. Now for our book of the week, Start With Why, How Great Leaders Inspire Everyone to Take Action by Simon Sinek, as selected by our farmers. In 2009, Simon started a movement to help people become more inspired at work and in turn inspire their colleagues and customers. Since then, millions have been touched by the power of his ideas, including more than 28 million who've watched his TED Talk based on Start With Why, the third most popular TED video of all time. The why was born out of pain. It was never an academic or commercial exercise. It was born out of a time in my life many years ago, 10 years ago, where I had lost my passion for what I was doing. I owned my own small business. I was living the American dream. Superficially, my life was fantastic. And yet, I didn't want to wake up and do it again. And I was embarrassed by that. You know, who am I to complain about my life? My life seemed perfect, and yet I hated it. And so I kept it to myself. Every ounce of my being, every all the energy that I had was invested in pretending that I was happier, more successful, and more in control than I felt. And it was debilitating, quite frankly. Um, Strange things start to happen when you put yourself in that cycle and the stress starts to build. You start to become paranoid. So for example, I was convinced that um, my employees hated me. I didn't go out much and it was really, it was really a bad time. And it wasn't until a friend of mine came to me concerned that I wasn't acting myself and basically offered me nothing more than moral support. Whatever you need, I got your back, I'm worried about you. And it was that simple act that gave me the courage to face my own problem. And it was that simple act that gave me the courage to seek out a solution, to go back to the way I used to feel, to be passionate about something again. There was a confluence of events, and I made this discovery that every single organization on the planet, even our own careers, always function on the same three levels. What we do, how we do it, and why we do it. And it was based on the biology of human decision-making. It wasn't some highfalutin management theory. It was based on brain stuff. And I realized I knew what I did and was good at it. 
And I knew how I did it. I could tell you what was different or special about the way I did things, but I couldn't tell you why I was doing it. That was the missing piece. You have to have all three. I became obsessed with this thing called the why. I figured out how to find my why and it restored my passion to levels I had never experienced before. And more importantly, I figured out how to help others find theirs. And I did what anyone would do. When you discover something beautiful, you share it with your friends. And my friends started making crazy life changes themselves. And they started finding happiness and passion that they'd never experienced before. It was me solving my own problem that happened to help others solve it for them too. And people just kept inviting me and I just kept saying yes. I was making huge decisions that were really easy to make. Like I shut down my office and started over again because I realized the business I had built was so inconsistent with my why. All my friends thought I went out of business and they were worried about me. It was the easiest decision I ever made. In other words, when you know your why, the filter is clear. It's not like there are options. The option is obvious. There's only one option. Share, give, inspire. And everything that I've achieved, any success that I've enjoyed, has all been 100% because of the gracious, amazing generosity of people around me. My friends, my colleagues, people who just believe what I believe, they're the ones who either introduced me to others or took a risk or said, let me try that, or bought a book or watched a TED talk, or more importantly, sent it to somebody else because they thought they would be inspired by it. For all of the things that I've done over the past decade, I still feel like I'm at the beginning. I have been saying it for 10 years when everybody says to me, you know, congratulations on X, Y, or Z. My answer is always the same, tip of the iceberg. And I think that's what keeps me inspired, which is, for me, it's a journey. I'm on the right path. I'm walking past the right mile markers. In other words, I know I'm making progress to the vision that I have to build this world in which the vast majority of people wake up every single morning, inspired to go to work, feel safe when they're there, returning home at the end of the day, fulfilled by the work that they do. When I started the race, I ran by myself. And it's lonely, lonely, lonely. And now I got like a thousand people to the left and a thousand people to the right and a thousand people behind me. And I look around, I'm like, yep, we're going to change the world. We're going to change the world. What a great source of inspiration. That was, of course, Simon Sinek, British-American author and inspirational speaker. To suggest the next book of the week, simply email us at info at foodformzanzi.co.za. Life in South Africa can be a lot. I mean, scroll through Twitter for a minute and tell me I'm wrong. Thank God for South Africans though, right? We're inspiring, and even on the bad days, we fight back with a smile. That's why I love Food Form Zanzi so much. They're not ashamed to celebrate the ordinary unsung heroes who work every day to put food on our nation's tables. Go to foodformzanzi.co.za and never miss an inspiring story. You're listening to Farmers Inside Track, South Africa's most downloaded farmers podcast, proudly brought to you by Foodform Zanzi. Now, I say this every week, but I definitely feel like we need a drum roll for this week's hashtag soil sister powered by Corteva AgriScience. She is Mutlatsi Tolo, a chicken farmer from the Northwest. Besides being a farming force to be reckoned with, she's currently also on a year long blended development program at the Gibbs Business School. Motlatsi, where and how did your farming journey start? I am currently farming for a family-owned business called Raseto Agricultural Enterprise. We are situated in the northwest province in Mahikeng. 
I am currently in the poultry industry, but specifically in the broiler production unit. I've been farming since 2017. And what do you love most about farming? What I love most about farming is that it is a science. There's a lot of research and analysis that needs to be done. A lot of trial and error, but the good thing about it is that data can always be saved to assist you on your current production and on the future plans of the production. And then finally, do you have any tips for women who are just starting their farming journey? My tips for any woman that would love to get into agriculture, I would like to let you know that it is a business and it can and it should be taken serious. Before you start anything, I'd advise you to really do a lot of research, a lot of your market analysis and do something that you're passionate about at the end of the day. God bless you. Wise words right there from Oshlatsi Tolo, a chicken farmer from the Northwest. Be sure to also read her inspirational article on Food for Mzanzi's website. Also stay tuned for our Farmer's Tip of the Week from Sizo Chabalala. Agriculture is not just about farming. It's about caring, and that's an ideal worth preserving. It's super fresh, it's super soft, and it makes a meal a treat. It's super sure bread and super sure flour. A proud member of the VKB Group. From breakfast to lunch and even birthday cakes, Supershaw makes the whole family smile. Find Supershaw on Facebook or visit vkb.co.za for more info. VKB, for the love of the land. We've just about reached the end of this week's Farmer's Inside Track episode. But before we let you go, Sizo Tsabalala from Mpumalanga proved his naysayers wrong when he started farming close to 10 years ago. Today, he shares a farmer tip of the week for all those new farmers just starting out in the industry. Um, what I would like to share with farmers is that it is important to dream big. But in dreaming big, make sure that you start small. Start small and learn to have your paperwork in order so that whenever you need assistance, so that the people who might want to help you can have enough faith in your business because paperwork, if it's in order, you know, it brings trust, you know, it shows discipline and then it shows the passion behind the discipline. Um, um, so definitely dream big, start small and start with what you have, you know, don't wait for funding. Start with what you have because you have something, you know, you need funding to move from one to two to three, but to move from zero to one, you need to use what you have. So start small, start with what you have and make sure that your paperwork is in order. And Cesar Chavalala's Farmer Tip of the Week brings us to the end of this week's Farmer's Inside Track episode, proudly brought to you by Food for Mzanzi. For more daily inspirational stories about the farmers and agriculturalists who go above and beyond to feed South Africa, visit www.foodformzanzi.co.za or follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. Remember, if you love this podcast, please rate it and share it with your friends, family members and fellow farmers. Farmers Inside Track is available for free on Spotify, Apple Podcast and Google Podcast and of course also on foodformzanzi.co.za. From me, Duncan Masiwa, Don Numdu, Nicole Ludov and the rest of the Food for Mzanzi team, have a great week and please... Let's continue to keep each other safe during the COVID-19 pandemic. Corteva is in it for farmers. 
for good. As a company solely focused on agriculture, we understand the impact of climatic and soil diversity, the unique requirements of each region, each farmer, each crop, and the need for sustainability. To this, we apply our global mind. With 5,000 researchers in more than 130 countries, ensuring farmers of advanced seed technology and guarding growing investments through innovative crop protection. Local investment includes research facilities on par with our best in the world and the largest private insectary in Africa. Advanced genetic breeding is combined with intense trials, testing and refinement in different bioclimatic zones to bring forth the best in-class products. Beyond in-seed value, our on-seed applied technology on farm crop protection, digital and agronomic solutions are all designed to optimize farmers' productivity, profitability and sustainability. Because by being wholly devoted to agriculture, we have a deeper understanding of farming, the needs of our farmers, and the country's need for farmers. This is what drives our researchers to find new avenues for sustainable growth. It is the reason for having state-of-the-art seed production technology on home ground. Our motivation for creating effective, locally proven solutions to protect land and crops with care for the future. This is the world of Corteva in South Africa. Growing progress, enriching lives, now and for generations to come. Corteva, keep growing. You've been listening to the Farmers Inside Track podcast, supported by Food Form Zanzi. For more information, find us on www.farmersinsidetrack.co.za.